In part three, we're now going to explore the stream of counseling, which is not what many of us think of when we hear the word. We tend to think of a clinical experience, you know, over an hour in which we pay someone who is an expert to help us sort through some issue or crisis in our lives. And while that is very important and often necessary for us to move forward in life and in loving, in our walk with God and in our healing, that's not what we mean here. As you'll soon discover, by counseling, we really mean the counseling ministry of the Holy Spirit, who was sent to us to be our counselor, capital C. This is the intimate work of God, bringing the truth into our hearts. For as I said in the introduction of the series, we're promised that if we know the truth, the truth will set us free, and yet it doesn't seem to be doing so. <laughs> we, we know all kinds of truth. We have more information about uh, the Bible and the truths of the scriptures than most people around the world do, and yet we're still stuck. Why is that? Well, Psalm 51, 6, that God desires truth in the inmost being. The story of our lives is the story of the forming of our convictions. Starting from when we're very young, things happened to us. Things were said. Things were done. And in the story of the painful moments of our lives, convictions form down in the depths of our hearts. Beliefs, assumptions, deep seated convictions, and there they stay until the truth comes down in those depths to root it out. That's the purpose of this third stream, bringing the truth down into the depths of our hearts to dislodge the lies and the untrue beliefs that have settled there and lived there most of our lives so that the truth can set us free. We're going to move into the stream of counseling now, which is more than it may sound, as all of them are. Something that I've been stunned by is how much my heart matters to God. And it's something I want you to ask Him to show you. Lord, does my heart really matter to you? I mean, really, really and I know, I know, you know, there's all the passages. and You came and gave your life for me. But really? Really? I mentioned briefly in walking with God, the instruction I got just last week to go to Joshua Tree. We had just finished boot camp and a major significant event in Samuel's life, his 14th birthday. And the next day, God said, I want you to go to Joshua Tree Tuesday morning. Go. And I went for three days, and God worked it all out, all the details, the possibility of it. It ended up being this rich, rich time for my heart. I mean, deep, deep healing. It was like a mash unit, to be honest. I laid in my tent for three days. That is how exhausted I was. Soul weary, not just physically. People were praying for me, and, and it ended up being just this rich healing time. And I walk away from those things so stunned by, really, God? I mean, you're taking care of heaven and earth, and, and yet you want to time out and arrange this gift to my heart? I could tell you hundreds of stories like that since I've simply started paying attention, asking Him, walking with God. Isaiah 61, translated out of religious language, God says, 
I want to give you back your heart, and I want to set you free. Right? That's what it is. Isaiah 61, verse 1 through 3. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. Right? I'm on a mission, and my mission is to do this. I want to give you back your heart, and I want to set you free. So many, so many stories I could tell. My folks were here last year in the spring for a visit. It ended up being kind of a draining time with them. They are not believers, and, you know, family is like kryptonite. <laughs> you know, no matter how far you've walked with God, no matter all the work he's done, you get around family, and it's like, you know. And so I was glad to see them go. You know, I love them, pray for them, but I was just, you know, it was good to take them to the airport. And as we're driving to the airport, my dad mentions that he had been reading in the sports section, you know, that the fishing was great up at Spinney Mountain Reservoir, one of my old spots. I kind of just said, oh, wow, huh, you know, and just ignored it and tossed it off, dropped my folks off. And as I'm driving away from the airport, God says, go fishing. What? I'm like, well, no way. I have so much to do. I mean, this can't be God, you know. He kind of stays with me, kind of nagging me all the way home. There's that kind of that haunting, that prompt, that urge, go fishing. I want you to get your canoe. This is God. Get your canoe. Call Morgan. Go fishing. My canoe is serving at that point as the collecting place for all the flotsam and jetsam in my garage. I mean, it's just buried, you know? I'm like, I got to dig out the canoe. And I don't even know what Morgan's doing today. You know, it's already running late. I, what? You know? Okay, God. I've learned over the years to trust these little gifts, these urgings. I want this for you. So called Morgan, threw everything out of the canoe, got it on the top of the truck, went up to Spinney. Nobody is there. Water is glass. We push out in the canoe, and um, we start catching these giant rainbows. And we're whooping and laughing and hauling a ball, and they're ripping around the canoe, and we're having a blast. And... And then I just sat there for a moment, stunned. Really, God? My heart matters to you like that? I mean, intimately like that? Yeah, yours does too. His whole mission is to give you back your heart and set you free. For the glory of God is man fully alive. There's this thing that I am kind of nagged by. It's pretty deep, and it often kind of lies beneath the surface in my life. But I'm nagged by this thing of, it's not enough. Whatever I'm doing, whatever I'm offering, it's not enough. It happens when I turn in a manuscript for a book. And part of me knows, like while at heart, part of me knows, I'm the man who found the treasure in the field. You know, I know it's gold. I just don't know if everybody else will know, you know. But then there's this other part, this question, this doubt. Is it any good? You know, it's, it's not enough. It's, not enough. it's going to be a disappointment. And I'm aware of how that operates a lot during an event like this. They're not getting it. You're not coming through. It's not good. It's not enough. That nagging sense. And then the Holy Spirit, who is sent as our counselor, right, says, and I will send you another, the counselor, and he will be with you always. It's a funny little promise because, you know, somebody came up to you and said, you know, um, you need some therapy, and I've paid for it, and uh, you're going to have several years of it, you know. 
you, you know, whoa. I mean, part of you would say, whoa, you know, what, you know? Well, apparently God thinks we need some counseling because he sends the counselor. And, um, and he doesn't just stop in for a checkup, right? He has come to stay, which apparently means we need an awful lot of it. Um, so Holy Spirit, the counselor, begins to bring these things together. And here's what came together. I was realizing when my dad, you've heard my father wound story, you've read it in Wild at Heart, you know, my dad's alcoholism, right in my adolescence, 12, 13, 14, right when a boy is just craving validation, affirmation of a father, for the father to take him on the journey into manhood. He just leaves. Now, he's, he's not a mean drunk. He's not a violent drunk. I didn't suffer those kinds of assaults. He just disappeared. And here's the thing. For no reason I could explain. Why, Dad? And so there's just this doubt that enters in. There's just this, it must be me. I must not be enough to keep him. So at that moment, as so many young men do, I took my question to the woman. Fell in love for the first time, junior high school, and she was cute. She was one of the cheerleaders. She was uh, full of life, which my family was not. It was collapsing, and there was no life there, and she was just fun to be with. And we had a ball together. And then one day, I just, you know, rode my bike over to her house like I normally did and kind of hang out in the afternoon, just do stuff. And she just said, I don't want to be with you anymore for no explicable reason. Just, we're done. Bye. And it was all the more devastating because I had taken my question to her. It wasn't just a, a case of love lost, which is painful and a wound in itself, but I had taken this, this search for validation and, and it, well, if she thinks I'm neat, well, then maybe I am neat, you know, and it, if she thinks that there's something desirable about me, well, then maybe there is. You know, maybe I do have something. And so that made it all the more devastating of a blow there. And I realized there's been this thing in my life that I've been haunted by that for no reason I can explain, there's just something missing. It's not good enough. I'm not good enough. I'm not there. And God begins to put all this together for me. Now, last year we went to visit my folks. We took the boys and visited grandparents, and, and uh, I was just going nuts. I just, I just had to get out of the house. And so I uh, you know, just made up some excuse to get out of the house and took a drive, and I wanted to be very intentional about this. I knew something was stirring in my heart. All the old voices of the past, all the old wounds were kind of coming up. Find the old neighborhood, and I drive down. I find her house. And I just kind of parked. It's dark now. It's nighttime. I just kind of rolled the windows down and, and sort of let all the smells and the sounds and the memories just take me back to that time. Tears. And I knew God wanted to speak, so I just waited and listened. And what he said was, none of this was your fault. Now, you have to understand, I didn't know that all these years I had been believing it was my fault. You know, I didn't know that some deep sentence down in there, some conviction, thou just desire truth in the inmost being. And frankly, friends, most of what's down there in our inmost being is not true. You know, these messages come when we're young. We don't know how to sort them out. They come now when we don't know how to sort them out. And, and they lodge down in there, somewhere down in our hearts and our souls. And, and they, they become the defining convictions of our lives. So I'm sitting there and I'm crying and I'm remembering all that the collapse of my family, the loss of my dad. 
And God says, none of this was your fault. This wasn't about you. And it was like this something just lifted off of my heart, this weight, this uh, that somehow it was my fault, that if I had been better or something, none of that would have happened. It was a beautiful moment for me, and it felt like I got part of my heart back that night. It felt like God just gave, gave me back some part of my, something got freed up from that lie. Something came out from under that weight. Something was affirmed in a way, because, it, oh, it wasn't my fault. I mean, I didn't do something wrong. You know, I, yeah, it wasn't. None of this was your fault, John. Your heart is good. Wow. And I have hundreds of stories like that that I could tell you as well. That is what it's like to walk with God in the stream of counseling. There are these convictions, these beliefs that are down in there, below the surface, right? The proverb says, the heart of man is like deep water. You don't know what's down there, you know? And it takes the ministry of God sometimes directly and personally, sometimes through the intervention of another, to begin to bring truth into our inmost being. And it's only then that the truth sets us free. Simply hearing it, oh yeah, acknowledging it, kind of an intellectual nod, oh yeah, sure, mm -hmm, that's true, that will not set you free. It doesn't work. I mean, just take a look, you know. All you got to do is walk into most churches and go, you know, it's not working. Because it hasn't gotten into the heart. It hasn't gotten down into those deep waters and dislodged the convictions that are down there, replaced with what is true. But when it happens, it's so rich and it is so good. That's the stream of counseling. Walking with God as our counselor and then walking with one another in the stream as well. Through events like that, none of this was your fault. And then events like, you know, fishing up at Spinney Reservoir, God just coming again and again and again to tell us, show us, demonstrate to us that our heart matters to Him and matters deeply. Matters, in fact, more than anything else. Your heart is the treasure of the kingdom. In Isaiah 45, God says, I will go before you in level mountains. I will break down gates of bronze and cut through bars of iron. I will give you the treasures hidden in darkness, riches stored in secret places. I believe those treasures and riches are our heart. They are not darkness, right? Galatians 6, you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Your heart is good, but they are hidden by darkness. They're behind gates of bronze and, and bars of iron. They're pinned down in there often hidden to us, stored in secret places. Most men in particular, but most people, are absolutely clueless about the deep things of their own heart. And so it takes the ministry and the intervention of God to raise those issues and to take us there so that He can speak to these things. Things that we don't even maybe know we need to hear, but we desperately need to hear from Him. So here's my first question to you. As we move into the stream of counseling, what's God up to? As you're walking with God, the last month, couple months, maybe the first you know, quarter of the year, what's God up to in your life? What's He after? What's He trying to reach? 
speak to, address? Do you know? Because that's what he's doing. That's what he, he says. This is my mission. Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me. I have been sent, right, to give you back your heart and set you free. And that's why Christianity is such phenomenally good news. I mean, it's nothing like what's getting delivered out there. It is so good. If people knew the real deal, you know, they'd rip the roofs off houses like they did to, you know, get near Jesus, you know. So just a simple question. What is God up to? And if you don't have an answer to the question, there you go. There's your assignment. Ask him. All these orchestrated events in your life are an attempt to raise the issues to the surface, deal with what needs to get dealt with because he wants to restore the glory of your life, your heart, your strength, who you are. John 14, 16 is where Jesus says, and I will ask the Father and he will send another to you, the counselor, and he will be with you always. He will be in you. Which lets us know a couple of things as well. It lets us know that it's going to be a process. It's not just a flip of a switch. Bang, you're healed. Bang, you're sanctified. Bang, you got your heart back. No, it's process. The Spirit is here to walk with us now and take us into those things that we need to understand. Our life is a story. Every person's life is a story. It comes to you in the shape of a story, doesn't it? There's scenes and episodes. There's drama and comedy. There's tragedy. There's battle and darkness. There's joy and love. All of that woven through. Your life is a story. And the story of your life is what has happened to your heart. It's the inner story. The story of the journey of your heart through this world. That's the story of your life. And, you know, we can kind of give the, you know, basic details. Well, I was born here and raised in a family of five kids, and then, you know, my parents divorced when I was nine. And kind of give the details, but that's not the story of your heart, right? What was happening to your heart as it went through all of those scenes? What did you learn? What were the convictions that you came to? See, we don't form our convictions. They are formed within us. Our core convictions are formed down deep within us, usually when we are young, by those we love or should have loved us. You look at the story of Joseph. He has a glory, doesn't he? Joseph has a glory to him. There's a weight to his life. He starts having these dreams. And he says, hey, you guys, you won't believe what I just dreamed. You know, we were out in the field and we were all these stalks of wheat and then yours bound down to me. <laughs> Bless his heart. Bless his heart. You know, I mean, family, the goal of family is to see your glory, affirm it, bless it, encourage it, and release it upon the world. That rarely happens. The story of family tends to be a glory assaulted, a heart assaulted, or simply missed. Just missed. Joseph's case, they assault him, right? Let's kill him. Send the robe back to dad, and then we'll see what comes of his dreams. As it was supposed to be. Same thing happens to David. Young David, right? Leaves the field, wants to come to the battle lines. Here's Goliath taunting the armies of the living God. All the guys are back there. You know, nobody will take him on. And David's like, hey, who is this uncircumcised Philistine, right? I'll take him on. His heart, right? That brave warrior king already showing up 
and he's just an adolescent, but there's his heart of glory, right? I'll take him on. And what does his brother say? What are you doing down here? And who did you leave to take care of the sheep? I know why you came down. You just came down to watch the battle. And he literally says, I know how wicked your heart is. I mean, the direct assault on his heart. Your heart is bad. Your heart is not worth knowing. Your heart is fill in the blank. What were you taught? What did the scenes and episodes of your life teach you about your heart? What's been the message? Do you know? Because that's where the counselor has got to come and take us and through the episodes do the deep work of restoration and the process of bringing us to the truth that will set us free. You see, Peter, Jesus do this with Peter as well. There's the beautiful scene, you know, Peter denies Christ three times and after saying, you know, I'll never deny you, right? Think about that. What did that do to Peter's heart? And what would you believe about yourself after that? Could he ever tell anybody about Jesus again? Could he go on to be a witness? No, right? I mean, anytime he would start to try and tell a story, accusation, the guilt would be there. You? What do you think you are? Right? You know, telling people about crying. Come on, right? You let him down. You blew it. Coward, you know, you can hear it, right? You know. So what does Christ do? It's after the resurrection, guys are out fishing, Jesus is on the beach, and it's a beautiful repeat of how they met, right? Hey, you guys, got anything? You know, cast your net on the other side. It's the Lord. <laughs> Peter's in the water, you know, breaststroke to him, and he's they have breakfast. It's such a great scene. I mean, would, would you do this after your resurrection? You know, have a cookout <laughs> with a with a few buddies. I mean, it's so unspiritual, you know? They don't sing. Nobody prays. There's no scripture reading, you know? It's just, it's life, right? It's life. You get your life back. That's what it means, right? You had a life, you get it back. Here's your life. It's inextinguishable. So they have a cookout, and they're talking on the beach, and then he's got to go after this in Peter's life. He's got to speak to him, or this man will be taken out for the rest of his life. And remember how many times he asks him? Right, take him right back into his womb. He's got to do that. It's very intentional. And it hurts Peter. As the text says, Peter was hurt by it by the third time. And that's the point. Usually, that which is laid down in pain in our life can only be accessed through pain. Something has to happen again. You're overlooked for a job, just as you were overlooked by your parents. Right? You are abandoned, right? Maybe by a spouse, just as you were abandoned. Right? That which is laid down in pain can often only be accessed through pain. And Christ wounds Peter to heal him. He's got to lance that wound. He's got to go in there and get to those convictions and unearth them. And it's a beautiful scene of the restoration of Peter's heart. Peter, you do love me. That's what's true about your heart. You are not a bad man. I love you, and I welcome you back into my fellowship. You are my friend. Feed my sheep. He's reinstated, not to a function, right? But to the place that he has in God's heart. Who he means, who he is to God. It's a beautiful scene. That's the kind of thing that we need in our lives for the rest of our lives. I mean, the counselor has come to stay. Several months ago, I've been haunted by fear for a long time in my life. Fear is one of those 
things that's just nipped at my heel. And um, I think I've tried to deal with it mostly by just pushing it away. Uh, but that usually doesn't work. Eventually, it's got to get healed. You know, why fear? What, what's there with that? So I would often wake um, as a young man to fear in the morning. I'd just wake up kind of feeling anxious. I couldn't tell you why. But I would just jump into the day. Just be busy, run hard, push fast, and maybe you can get past it. Doesn't work. And so, I don't know, this was maybe about eight months ago. I woke one morning, and I was feeling the fear. And I thought, you know what, it is time to go there. I was just lying in bed, and the house was quiet. Nobody was up yet, and I was feeling the fear again. And I simply invited Christ into it. Jesus, come into this fear. Meet me here in this place. What is going on? Jesus, I don't get this. I don't know why it's been here. I, don't, I can't put words to it. I can't point to an event. I mean, I wasn't locked in a closet as a boy. I didn't have a fear of heights or anything. Jesus, I don't know what this is about. Just please come into this. That's just the first invitation. It's the simplest thing. Lord, show me. Counsel me. Walk with me. Why am I feeling fear? And the first thing he began to help me do was to articulate what is it, kind of Jesus saying, say a little bit more about fear. So what is this? I feel like I'm going to blow it. I feel like I'm going to royally blow it any moment. But see, nothing's going on in my life like I'm going to. I mean, I'm not on the verge of taking ransomed heart down. I'm, you know, I'm not about to blow it. So Jesus, what is this? And then he asked me this. He said, when have you felt like this before? Simple question. When have you felt like this before, John? Boom. Two memories. Like that. The first was when I got arrested. My dad abandoned, walked away. I became an incredibly rebellious kid. You remember the story. And, and that's just a cry for help. It's just a cry for engagement. Somebody noticed that I am going down. You know? Got arrested. And, uh, and there was just such deep fear and shame in that you know, I'm blowing it badly, and no one's going to intervene. No one's going to step in. And then the second event it came quickly on the heels of the first. Like, if it didn't come now, it would never come. I mean, just kind of like rushed in on the coattails of it. And it was the time that my girlfriend got an abortion. And it was so horrifying. We were not Christians. We had no idea what we were doing. But something down in your soul knows this is deeply wrong. And that one was so painful, I just shoved it down deep and never spoke of it again. And that fear of, I'm about to blow it really badly. And God came in and he raised these two things. And all I could do is just say, Jesus, come in. Come in to these memories. Come into these places in my heart that have been pierced by this. Confession. Lord, forgive me. Forgive me. Forgive me for my part you know, getting arrested and what I did to do that. Forgive me for my part in this abortion. I ask your forgiveness and your cleansing and I invite you in to heal this place. And one of the things that God's brought to me is that passage in Galatians. You were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Right? Your heart is good, John. You're not that man anymore. You are a good man and you are not about to blow it. See, the enemy is sitting here with this accusation saying, you're about to blow it, you're about to blow it, you're about to blow it. I'm going to take you down. I have just about got you, you know, and that's a lie. That's simply a lie. It's not true. My heart's good, and I'm not about to blow it. Christ 
the Holy Spirit, the presence of God in our life, coming in as a counselor to raise these events so He can speak to them. So instead of pushing them down, running from them, just trying to stay busy or you know, move on to the next thing, let it come. Right now, the question I asked you, He is trying to raise something in your life over the last three months, over the last two weeks. He's doing this all the time. He wants to restore certain parts of our heart, certain lost pieces of our glory. This is what He's after. And our invitation to Him is come. Come, we go with it. We invite Him in. And probably the deepest thing of all, to ask Him to show you that your heart is good. Because for most of us, it's a new doctrine. still sounds a little bit like heresy. You know? We've been taught so long, Jeremiah 17.9, and not Jeremiah 31, you know, and Ezekiel 36.26, and Romans 2, and on and on. The new covenant, we've heard the old covenant, your heart is deceitfully wicked. The new covenant is your heart's good. Your heart is the dwelling place of God. Now, Right? Ephesians chapter 3. Ask him to show you that your heart is good. This was another way that he gave this gift several years ago. We did a college retreat with some students that we had been working with, and uh, we did a backpacking trip. It was down in the, in the Wimanuchi, and we'd had a week together, and somebody made a photo record of it. They'd just been snapping photos during the week, and the student's gift to me at the end of the week, just this gift of this photo album. And um, I was about to go on a trip to L.A., which I did not know was going to be an ambush. I'll tell you about that in a minute. But I didn't know that. It was a ministry meeting. Okay? But before I got on the plane, just that nudge of God, take a look at that photo album. They had just dropped it by, and I was kind of in a hurry, and okay, you know, take a few extra minutes. Sat down and flipped through it, and I really enjoyed it. Oh, remembering memories, the kids, and the things that we did, and friends that I now have from that. and It was a neat time. Okay, close the photo album, jump on the plane. Before I get on the plane, Craig and I were talking about asking God to show you that your heart is good, that your heart is good, because you have to know it. You have to know it. And Craig said, you know, John, I think God wants to say more to you about that. Okay? Okay. So jumped on the plane. I got two hours, pull out my journal, and just invited God to speak. Counselor, counsel me. What more did you want to say? It was amazing. The first thing he asked was, he simply said, what was the other arrow? And the other major arrow of my life is that your heart is bad. Your heart is bad. I mean, I've had that yelled at me on more than one occasion. And so the tears were there, and I thought, oh, Lord, there's this other arrow down in there. And I said, Jesus, come into this. I don't know what to do with this. And then he says... I want you to describe the man that you saw in the photo album. Meaning me. <gasps> what? Yeah, ooh, ee, what an uncomfortable thing to do, you know? De- uh, describe yourself to God, you know? <laughs> oh, I'm like, ooh, Lord, is this you? This, ooh, this feels arrogant, ooh, you know, self-focused. I, yeah, you know? No, go with it, John. Okay, all right. Who did you see there? Okay, objectively, I saw a man with a good heart. He's kind, and uh, he's rugged. And God said, that's who you are. You raise the other arrow, use this event to just show me. Your heart's good, John. Your heart is good. 
And then I step off the plane, walk into this meeting. It is an ambush in which ministry people are firing at Craig and me that our hearts are bad. And what was so great was, I think if I had not been prepared with it, I'd have gone with it. Oh, you're right, you're right. I don't know what we've done, but I'm sure you're right, you know. (laughs) But you know what? There was this confidence in me to go, no, I see this for what it is. It's an ambush and it's not true. God has already spoken. God has spoken. Now, I'm not going to go there. Not going to buy it. Not going to give in to it. No, you're wrong. You're wrong. You have totally misread my life. You don't know me. Because if you knew me, you would know my heart is good. The gift of God, you know, preparing. So ask it. Lord, show me. Really? Really, God? My heart is really good? This is how the stream of discipleship, walking with God, flows into the stream of counseling. We learn to walk with God and hear His voice and recognize those promptings, urges, him raising things, giving gifts, he takes us into the deep work of the heart. He wants to give you back your heart. All of it. All of it. And there's more to be done in all of us. There's more. There's more life, more healing, more restoration. But it also comes to us through others. Not only is it as we walk with God, it's as we walk with others. It's Proverbs 20, verse 5, that says, the heart of a man is like deep water, But do you know how the rest of the passage goes? It says, but a man of understanding draws it out. Someone comes into your life with understanding and they start doing the deep bucket work. They dip down in there and they go after your heart. That's that ministry of counseling flowing to us. We've got to get truth in the inmost being. And we do this at the level of friendship. We do it in our marriages. We do it for our kids. It's the normal Christian life. It's what we offer one another. And I want to talk about going after each other's hearts. And sort of the, what are the categories that you think in? What are you watching for? What are you looking for? The very first thing is simply notice his impact on you. Notice his impact on you. What do you feel pulled to do? Simply, what's it like to sit with him? You know, ask yourself this question. Is this a guy that you want to spend eight hours in the car with? And if not, why not? What about him do you know would just drive you nuts? Well, you're on to something then. And then you can use it for him. You're suddenly discovering something about his life, right? Whoa, why does he do that? Why can't this guy ever be serious? He's always telling jokes. Or why does this guy have to always be so spiritual? Right? Everything is so spiritual. I can't stand that about... What is it? Notice his pull on you. Gosh, I feel like I have to be really tender with this man. Why do I feel that? Right? Notice, every man has an impact on you. Notice it. It's there. It's the most obvious thing. It's the first thing. But we always kind of overlook it, try and jump to some other category. Simply notice his impact on you. Yeah, okay, you're on to something there. You're on to something. Use it. That's telling you two things usually. What you usually meet, I said, when you first meet a man, is an elaborate fig leaf, right? It's a brilliant disguise. It's how he's hiding. That's what you usually meet when you meet a man, right? Is he hiding behind his spiritual life? Is he hiding behind his intelligence? Is he hiding behind his macho sports achievements? Whatever it is that bugs you, I mean, kind of first impact, you have met his false self, 
but you've probably also run into that gravitational field as well. See that? Okay, you're onto something. That first initial pull is usually telling you two things. You usually meet the false self, and you usually meet what the enemy is trying to do against him. Okay, so step one, you just notice that pull, notice that impact, that's really important. What do you feel the pressure to do or to be when you're around this person? Do you feel the pressure to be insightful? Do you feel the pressure to don't raise anything too intense? You see, that helps you know what's going on there. And instead of using it against him, you use it for him. Use it in love. You use it for him. Because the first thing I realized when that's going on is this can't be him. I don't believe it. And I will not give in to that pull. I will not go with it. Whatever it is, to shame him, beat him up, dismiss him, just joke together. Hey, you know, I'm not going there. I'm not going to go with the pull. I want to go after his heart. Okay? Another way of asking it too, sometimes this will help really clue me on to something when I'm sitting with a man. I'll ask myself, if this was Adam, what's missing? If this were the living deal, right? True man, the full image bearer. This were Adam before the fall, right? This were a full man. What's missing? And in some men, what's missing is kindness. There's just nothing kind about this guy, right? He's rough. He's a bully, you know? Oh, you know, or what's missing? Insight, wisdom, depth. Gosh, there's just nothing deep about this guy. He's just, he's, phew, he seems so, sh- you know? What's missing if he were a full man, right? If he were Adam in his glory sitting before you? That'll help. That'll help. Kind of clue you into, gosh, what's happened against this guy's heart and what has he done with it? And then step two. I cannot, cannot, cannot overemphasize the importance of connection. We've got to be so careful. No man is a project. No man is a project. And no woman is either. That's the last thing your wife wants to feel like she is to you, right? As a project, something to be fixed. That's not what heals. That's not what heals. Relationship, heart to heart, life on life, right? Remember in the masculine journey, masculinity is bestowed by masculinity. This is so important between men. It's what we offer one another. We offer one another our life, our heart, not just our ideas, not just our insight, not just our theology, right? You offer him your heart. That second thing is so important is finding those places that, that you can connect. It's such a good question to ask is, what are you offering him? What is it that you are offering him? The third thing I want to lay out there, what are you looking for? Is it his glory or his sin? Isn't it a good question? It's so key. It depends on if you're operating from an old covenant or a new covenant model. Right? Most Christian discipleship, accountability groups, you know, really, you look for the sin. You go after the sin. And I want to suggest... Look for his glory. Go after his heart. It's in there somewhere, right? Your job as a man of understanding is draw it out. Why? Because I want to see it. I want to see it restored and I want to see it set free. This is far more unnerving than going after his sin. It really is. 
I mean, our sin we can work on. Our sin we can confess. Our sin we can repent. We can beat ourselves up over our sin, right? But what can you do with your glory? Nothing. You're just out there. It's just you, right? So what are you looking for? What are you offering him was the second question, right? First question was, how does he impact you? What are you pulled to do? Kind of that whole thing. Second question, what are you offering? Your life, your heart? And thirdly, you're looking for his glory? You're looking for his heart? Helping him get his strength back, his heart back. And then that will lead you for to where the wounds are. The wounds are always against his heart and always against his glory. Always. That will lead you to where the wounds are. The deepest thing is the wound and the message with it, which is always a lie, right? The wound and the lie. And out of the wound and the lie, there usually is some kind of agreement with it or vow. And out of that, you get the false self. And so what you encounter when you meet a man is usually the false self, so you're backing your way in, right? You meet the false self, but that's not the real guy. That's not what's going on. And the church just tries to tinker with that most of the time. Just shape up, you know, improve your poser. You know, but we want to go after the heart and set it free. We want to set the glory free, restore the image of God. That's what we're after in our own lives. That's what God's doing with us. That's what we offer one another. So my dad, you know, my dad checked out. That was my wound. The lie was, you're on your own. I've discovered some others. The one I told you about, you're not enough. It's not enough, right, was what God revealed to me. And then out of that comes a kind of vow or agreement. And then you get the false self. And I think a lot of my perfectionism came out of, it's not enough. It's got to be perfect. And then maybe he'll stay. Then maybe she won't leave. You know? So you're backing your way into the wounds. And what will amaze you is the wounds of any person's life always have the same theme to them. All roads lead to Rome. You can start anywhere. You don't need to start with the father wound. You can go anywhere. All roads lead to Rome. They will all take you back to the center and all of the messages will be the same. The assault on his heart. I said your life is a story, right? The story of your life is the long and sustained assault upon your heart by the one who knows what you could be and fears you. The story of your life is the long and sustained assault upon your heart by the one who knows what you could be and fears you. So you go into a man's life, a woman's life, and you just begin to listen to the stories and the scenes and the wounds. They will all have a theme. You'll discover a ribbon, a thread, a, a connection to them all. You'll take you back to their glory and their heart. So the question about the weight of your life, your calling, your glory, the effect of your life, affect of your life. Another way to get to that in any man or woman's life or your own is, what are the wounds keeping you from doing? What were they designed to prevent you from doing? Bingo. There's your call. Right? I mean, you just you see it. They're not accidental. You're not living in a random story. You're living in a story that makes all kinds of sense. And so that was step four, that you'll get to the wounds, and the wounds will have a theme to them. And that is where we begin to offer grace of God, presence of God. The reason that I laid out the stream of counseling as primarily the ministry of God to us personally, the ministry of the Holy Spirit who comes to be our counselor, 
is because professional counseling might not be available to every person. You can't find a good counselor. You can't afford it right now. It doesn't fit. But throughout our lives, whether we also take advantage of uh, professional counseling or pastoral counseling, we will always need this from God. He will always be showing us new realms of our life where some deep-seated lie and wound are ruling us and where he wants to bring the truth next into our hearts. As Paul says in Thessalonians, may God sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless for the coming of the Lord. Well, that's what we need throughout the course of our life is more and more, through and through. Where now, Jesus? Some of you actually do need to go see a professional counselor. Some of these things are rooted so deep, we can't get to them alone. We can't get to them with the help of God by ourselves. We do need the help of another person who can bring the ministry of God to us. And so I don't want to belittle that stream or neglect it. It's played a crucial role in my life, the life of Stacy, and the life of our friends. So let me just put that out there. That might be what you need to ask God is, Lord, would that be helpful now? In this next part of my journey, do I need the help of someone to walk with? And then to seek out a wise and caring Christian counselor who can take you there. Having said that, I want to conclude with the thought that Jesus is always ministering to us and wanting to bring the truth deeper into our beings. And so go with it. The question that we ask as we drive along, as we have a conversation with a friend, as we wake up early in the morning and have a few minutes to think before we race into the day is, Jesus, where are you working now? Where are you wanting to come now? Where do I need to hear from you now? Come here. What is ruling me here? What am I believing here? Bring the ministry of the truth in my inmost being to this place so that I might be free.